The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. So I, here I am in Nashville. I'm at what we call the Dead Hooker Hotel. This is where you get uh, all the amenities of a discount hotel chain. Um, with the exception of a hook, dead hooker underneath one of the beds. I'm a little disappointed in that because I think that's what I kind of paid for. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to talk to the people that arrange my, my accommodation when I'm on the road. Um, why? why who, who, who does the arrangements for you? Quentin Tarantino? That person will be beaten and fired at the end of this trip. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Music man Paul Simon announces that he is retiring. But Wayne Webster isn't. One of the country's longest-serving music directors in radio explains why he's ditching the PC and building playlists by hand, like it's the 1970s. Plus, an adult toy company isn't legal hot water after allegations surface. Its customers' personal habits were being tracked. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. This year marks my 30th year in broadcasting. I got into radio at 17, working overnights at CKFM 99.9 in Toronto. We know it now as Virgin Radio. I was the op. An op is a minimum wage person to which to whom we give the keys to the radio station when nobody else wants to work. Your job is to push buttons, answer phones, and otherwise keep the dials moving. Otherwise, don't touch anything else. And, oh, if something goes wrong, it's all your fault, and you will never work in this business again. Make sure you keep this on the air. That's it. Exactly. So my first boss, you just heard him, the then music director, Wayne Webster. The last three decades have run across him from time to time, mostly whenever I'm around you. So it got me thinking, what does a music director do today anyway? Fifteen years ago, the question would have revolved around, I guess, the iPod and how you compete. Uh, Wayne and, and radio somehow has managed to survive the 2000 song device. And then 15 years after that, we got a whole new threat, YouTube, artificial intelligence. Joining us now, the music director of Boom 97.3, my former boss, Wayne Webster. Wayne, good to have you with us. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Before we get into anything, um, let's get your take on Paul Simon putting out that note February 5th saying that, you know what, I'd really rather spend more time with my family. If you be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you daddy. It seems to be a thing that's going around these days. A lot of people, uh, you know, Alan John's had the same thing. Uh, I think we have just have a whole bunch of uh, rock stars are getting that age. That's like, uh, you know what? I think it's time to pack it in. But it was a good, it was great. No, you know, it was nice to see him actually take the time to, you know, address the fans. Well, it's not just Paul Simon. I mean, we saw it with Alan John, like you said. We saw yeah. it with Slayer. Uh, there are a number of other bands that are embarking on farewell tours. Uh, we are reaching an end of you know, the classic rock era, these artists that we've had, you know, reliably for some more than 50 years are in their yeah. middle and upper 70s. And it's just, you know what? We're done. We would like to retire like every other normal human being. I think I even saw Ozzy, No More Tour 2 or something like that. <laughs> he retired twice? I, I, I thought I said No More Tours 2. So I guess he's already done this once. I don't know. Yeah. Black Sabbath has said they'll, they'll stop. So maybe that's what he was talking about. 
Oh, yeah, maybe that was it, yeah. So I put out the all call to the to the listeners saying, you know, what, what's your favorite Paul Simon song? And, of course, number one right out of the gate was You Can Call Me Al. Well, that's the, the song that most people would know these days because it's one of his newer ones. It was, what, his seventh album or something like that? Well, Graceland was a huge record. By July of 1987, Graceland had sold 6 million copies worldwide, and it's estimated as many as 16 million uh, so far to date. It came out in uh, 87, was album of the year. Uh, I won a Grammy. And then uh, in 88, Graceland, the the track, was nominated, and the record itself was uh, awarded the record of the year the following year. I don't know how that works. But as you say, it came out in uh, 86, I believe. Exciting. So, Alan, if it's not You Can Call Me Out, what is it? Uh, I like the sheer poetry of things like uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water. I like um, the fun of me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Uh, I like uh, Mother and Child Reunion. I like some of that early 70s stuff. Still crazy after all these years. I met my old lover on the street last night. She seems so glad to see me. I just smiled And we talked about some old times And we drank ourselves some beers Still crazy after all these years Oh, still crazy Is that Paul Simon or is that Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah, Simon Garfunkel was more up to like 1970 and then after that, then he was also, yeah, he, he had a great career in the 70s. One of my favorite things about the You Can Call Me Al, because I looked it up, and so if it's on the internet, it must be true, is the reason why the song exists is that Simon and his wife at the time were at a party by, held by the French composer and conductor Pierre Boulet, and they were at the same party, and he was mistakenly referred to as Al and his wife as Betty. And Simon put the song together based upon that. That's amazing. What, am I the only one who did any research here? Yes, I did not know that. <laughs> Alan's in Nashville. He's checked out of this conversation. No, no, I'm right here. Um, I'm just... I'm, I'm right here. I The worst Wi-Fi on, on the planet. The fact that Skype is even working minimally is a miracle. Well, it's the dead hookers. That's the problem. They're clogging up the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> Wayne... What is it you do as a day job these days? Because when you first hired me back in 1988, um, computers were not new to your line of work. They were helping you build the music playlist, but it was still at the stage where you would have to massage every playlist it spit out because it wasn't perfect or exactly the way that a music director wanted it. In this age, though, what's the what's the job of a music director on a radio station? Well, it all depends on uh, on the music director. Because, uh, of course, nowadays uh, I'm sort of one of the few that actually is just a music director, so I actually take the time to program music. Most of them are, you know, you have a, an air shift and you sort of hit F10, schedule it, and then check it out and see how it goes. I've gone back to the old style. I program everything by hand. 
So I pick a song and then I figure out what the next song is the next song. So sort of like making a playlist. So it takes me you know, four or five hours to do a day. You know, over the years, of course, we've changed from, you know, where uh, well, I guess for, I first started say at Q107, we had like a card system. And we'd tell the, the announcers you had sort of a sequence of categories you had to pick from. And they go into the categories and pick the songs they want, you know, and go past. So it's funny because every time you go in there, all the same songs were sitting there because they never played because no one liked them. That was 1977, am I right? And so that was all pre-computer based. And the DJs were still at that time able to pick their own music based upon a criteria? Yeah, they were told which categories to pick from. So they could actually sort of go in. You're supposed to take the first card, but of course, they always sort of search for what ones that they want. And that that was with uh, Lee Abrams. He was one of the big consulting guys back for uh, rock radio back back in that day. And then, you know, when I went to Chum FM, we actually, well, when I first started Chum FM, we had this great format. It was an album format. And we'd play three or four songs from an album for the first 15 minutes and then the next 15 minutes. So during the hour, hour we'd play four different albums and we'd have to play three or four different songs. And it was great because, you know, you'd have to go home and listen to every record. And it wasn't like you're listening for one song. You had to see if the album was good enough to add. And uh, that was quite unique. And it, the problem was around 1980, 81, of course, you get songs like uh, Turning Japanese by the Vapors, and there was no other two songs in the album you wanted to play. <laughs> when the one-hit wonder really hit? Uh, well, there's always been one-hit wonders, but, you know, we hit that sort of time period where that new wave thing, when it was like every band came out and was sort of like, you know, you, you had bands that had lots of hits, but there were so many bands at that time period that only ended up with one hit. And it made it really difficult to do the album format because you could only, you know, you don't want to play two stiffs plus the, the one hit. So that, that album format sort of fell apart. And then we went back to, we actually did a thing we had three current categories, and Barry Stewart and I were the music people, and we would have to make a 20-minute set built around that one song. It was quite freeform, actually, I guess, at the time. But it took forever to do it, because we were working like six days a week. We'd get like one day off, because it took so much time to figure out, okay, I got the song. Let's mix all whatever songs I can with it. Okay, here's one song. You know, make these mixes up. So we got a little burned out, and then we went to the sort of the more traditional style of uh, programming that we that we do now. We still had to type everything out there because we didn't have computers yet. We had to sit down after you make all the music lists. You had to go sit there at the typewriter and type it all out for the announcers. So, Alan, this would have dovetailed with the time when you would have received a lot of the playlists that would be coming either spit out of the computer or out of an algorithm, whether it be card-based or otherwise. When, when I was at CFNY, we had a different system. We were allowed to pick our own music. This was the whole thing. But there were certain rules that we had to follow. The big hits were called Double Purple Dots because on the cover of the album was a uh, sticker with two purple dots. That meant that was a big, big hit. And you, whenever you pulled that uh, double purple dot record out to play, you had to initial it with a felt pen in your color. Yeah, it's funny because we had the same, there was the same system at Chum FM that we had there. And they would actually put stickers on the records for the, so you couldn't play a song. So the, the songs that didn't have a sticker on it, you could play. And I remember hearing the story about Frank Zappa coming in 
and freaking out. That that track would only be played a certain number of times? Well, no, just that there was a whole bunch of songs that they, they weren't allowed to play. And of course, Frank was like, what are you doing that to my records for? But, you know, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> Here's the way we used to do it at CFNY. We used to have something called the dot system. And the big hit records, the big hit songs from the big records had something called double purple dots, which were two of these little dots that you get at, at Staples, and there was a label below it. And that meant you could play that song at any time of the day that you wanted, because again, we were picking our own music back in the day at CFMY. The only restriction was that you had to initial the t- the date that you played it on your shift. And I was working overnights, and I think I think my color of felt pen was I think it was, I think it was black, because I was working overnight. Uh, that meant I could not play that song on my overnight shift for three days, unless it was a single purple dot, which meant that I couldn't play that song on my shift for seven more days. You could never play the same song, uh, you know, overnights and mornings, and you couldn't play mornings and middays, you couldn't play middays and afternoons, and so on. So there was a, you know, for the Smiths, how soon is now, there was a big, you know, uh, um, competition to see who could play it. I'm the sun, I'm the Shyness that is criminally broken I am sun and earth But nothing in particular You should chill How can you say I go about things the wrong way I am human And I need to belong Just like everybody else you're actually hand-picking your playlists now. You know, it sort of harkens back to the mixtape era of the 80s for me anyway. But uh, why are you doing that when there's so much technology that's going to help you on a day-to-day basis? Um, I have a lot of people asking that, like my boss. Like, he thinks I'm crazy. When we started Boom, I guess, eight years ago. We're about six months in and doing it. You know, you know, you hit F10, let the schedule and you know, massage it and how you want to make it, uh, you know, make it supposedly better. And then uh, I had a guy come up from the States, a uh, PD called Chris Abbott. And he says, I'd like you to program every song by hand. And I said, really? And I'd sort of done it before for like the morning show, make sure I get the right songs in the morning show and then schedule around it. So I thought, okay, fine. So uh, it was sort of his idea. And I guess some of the stations have done this. And then I actually think it, it can sound a lot better because you know, machine doesn't think, right? A computer doesn't think, but you can actually sort of make a flow. You can sort of get it. For me, it's a better way of doing it, and uh, than letting a computer you because you know, you can set up a program to do what you think it will do, but it never does what you really want to do. It doesn't. You know, it can't think. I would have assumed artificial intelligence took over your job years ago because you could just feed it in the Billboard hit lists, the the uh, sales figures from iTunes from you know literally thirty seconds before, and have an algorithm that's capable of matching particular styles and genres of music uh, over time. It's amazing to me that in this day and age that you can actually do this by hand, and somebody doesn't think you're totally crazy. I suppose aside from your boss, I think that you you just get a better sounding radio station because you know, you're taking the time to make sure that you know as you say like i've talked to music master about it and because they want to see well can we you know speed this process up and they said with the way i do it, it, it 
there's no way that the program would be able to do it because you know it can't think. Yeah, you, so, you, you can't okay. you can't have a machine do this because you can enter all the data you want, but the problem is the data that you enter is subjective. You know things like mood and tone and tempo and key and all that sort of small well, key is not subjective, but uh, all those things that you can enter and and have all these rules that can be breakable or unbreakable. Uh, but you still only get a reasonable facsimile of a music log. You need to have a human in there who can actually hear and feel the music as they're programming it one by one. What, though, of the issue of, you know, you're a music director for one particular station, but now we know that there are music directors managing the playlists for stations across a, a country. Wifey and I were having a conversation about Easy Rock and how they imported the Easy Rock format from Montreal. Rock Detente, I think they called it at the time. Yeah, like You remember the, the, the idea of, of coming up with a, a demographic, like who are we playing this music for? And you come up with an individual. And I think Easy Rock came up with Jennifer from Markham, Ontario a soccer mom with two and a half kids. What does she want to hear? And that was imported from Montreal. And it never really worked because it wasn't taking into consideration the cultural differences between the listeners in Montreal versus Toronto. There was an assumption by a suit somewhere that something that worked well in Montreal could literally be ripped out and transplanted into Toronto. Yeah, well, it's, some stations are still doing that. There's, a, you know, across Canada, you can hear the same playlist on multiple stations. You know, it's based out of one spot and they ship it out to all the other stations and they, they pick it up um you know it's saving money is what it is is it a race to the bottom though um yeah well the way i see it and because you know people can't or a lot of radio stations don't have the money to pay a music director to, to do what i do because you know you they just don't have that kind of cash to spend on, on a music directors down the budget so for me yeah, i think a lot of radio stations are are not being programmed as well as they can be because they're not taking the time to make sure the music's right. They're just letting the computer go. And it could sound fine, you know, like, the, you know, if you set it up properly, it can sound pretty good. And depending on the type of station you are, you can make it sound pretty good. But I think this way works better. Now, a music director is one of the most uh, difficult jobs to do because it never ends. There's always donuts to be made, which means you've always got to schedule music. You've always got to deal with record company people. You've always got to deal with your boss. You've always got to deal with the announcers. You've always got to deal with um, uh, the record labels. It is an, a thankless job that uh, only certain people of a certain disposition can handle because the job of the... Here's how I would describe the job of a music director. If it comes out of the speakers, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Webster is the music director of Boom 97.3. Wayne, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine... This is a GNB News Update. Over at GeeksandBeats.com, writer Shane Alexander is reporting on a vibrator company that collected customer data without their knowledge. <laughs> I, I love this story. 21st century problems. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, I, I read somewhere about the uh, how this... Um, I'm not even sure what kind of data that they were they were actually collecting, but uh, it, it was it was a Bluetooth device, right? And and you know whenever you have anything connected to Bluetooth, 
you run into the problem of data collection. Yeah, this is a little bit different, though. I would actually be interested in what kind of data they manage to gather. If you turn that into big data, though, like if, if you had the critical mass, in other words, everyone had one and everyone was using one, wouldn't you collect a very interesting data set about everybody's habits? How would you parse that? Right, exactly. You could uh, you, you could use it to gather data about things like uh, downtime and uptime, when people are active, when they are not. I, I, I know. And, and for how long? And for, you know, at what speed? And, you know, everything that you said. Scatter plot that for me, please. I would like to see the results. So LoveSense is uh, reportedly able to record how users utilize the device, he writes, and then it sent information to their servers. So there is a lawsuit now that states that the company was secretly collecting intimate details about its customers, including email addresses. And I wonder if that's the real problem there. It's not so much that you're collecting anonymous data about the activities therein, but the fact that you might be able to tie it back to one individual might be the creepiest part of it, the I, whole thing. I don't know, but I, it would be fun to watch somebody prosecute this case. We want to say thank you very much to uh, Geeks Beats listener Chef Mike Benninger. He has uh, managed to give us a $2 donation as member of the World's Worst Intern Program. Paul Nadon, also a new member of the World's Worst Intern Program. Uh, we want to say thank you for that. You uh, put a $5 limit with a $1 per episode donation. So we want to say thanks uh, for supporting us over the last five uh, shows. And of course, what makes it the World's Worst Intern Program is you pay us a buck or more to work on the show. Don't do any actual work. But I suppose you could put it on your LinkedIn. Well, we would v- vouch for you, absolutely. Um, put it on your resume, and, and if anybody calls us for a reference, we'll, we'll take care of you. So we hope you can contribute to the big show by going to geeksandbeats.com, clicking on the Support the Show link, and all the money goes right back into the podcast. We are working on some very interesting live-on-location shows. We need some signage to get the word out, so anything you support us with uh, will get put right back into the program. Uh, we were talking about Chef Mike, actually, the other day when there was that hoax piece about robots that were going to replace cooks in the kitchen. Well, yeah, yeah. that's uh, he, he would be concerned about that sort of stuff. I can only imagine. And then it turned out that we ran it through Snopes. It wasn't true. Uh, So we lost an opportunity to bring him on the big show and talk about the prospect of, if not Wayne Webster in the music industry being replaced, maybe we could replace the uh, the chefs, the cooks in the kitchen, as it were, because if you can't stand the heat. You know, we need to get him on because there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the food services business that involves artificial intelligence and robots, and he would be a guy that could... uh straighten it out for us. I, you know what? I think we're going overboard with the robots in the kitchen. Just give me food and pill form like promised. Let's just get this out of the way. I got better things to do than eat. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. You don't like food. <laughs> Not a problem for you. Not for me. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go up for some ribs right now here in Nashville. Yeah, just make sure you step over the dead hooker first. Uh, yeah, I will. Don't worry. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323 323- Three three nineteen nerd. Follow the stories on Twitter, or Facebook, and get your dose of geeks and beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. I'm here. Oh, welcome back. Yeah. Hey. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, uh, the Dead Hooker Hotel uh, Wi-Fi crapped out, so I'm tethering on my phone using an American data plan. This is going to kill me. the most expensive podcast recording you know, session you've ever much had better. i i know can i go back to my double purple dot situation okay yes. the geeks and beats podcast would like to thank the national science foundation